Join me in a word of prayer this morning, would you? Lord, we're thankful today you bring us to this place, the house of God. Lord, that's what you called it, Bethel, house of God. It is your house that we come and gather in. It is your family that we gather with. Lord, our needs are different this morning. Father, help us to honestly bring them before you. Be with us that we might leave this place knowing that we have worshipped, that we have been with you, but Father, also that we have brought to you the needs that weigh heavy on our heart. That we might leave this place, Lord, knowing that we've been touched by you. Lord, we realize that to face the world around us tomorrow, we need your presence and your intervention. Prepare us for the task that lay ahead. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew. But I want to read you a couple of verses in the 11th chapter first. Verses 28 through 30 in the 11th chapter. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus looked out to a hurting and lost world, and he said, if you'll come to me, I'll help. He could have never imagined that day when he got up, got dressed on the Sabbath. When he made his way to worship that day, that things would be different. That it would not be a day as usual. Something very unusual was going to happen that day. Maybe he had already heard that Jesus was there or going to be there. But for whatever reason, their paths would cross. The 12th chapter of the book of Matthew. I would like to pick up at verse 9 of our text. Listen to it. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue. And a man with A shriveled hand was there. And looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Then he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. It is a familiar story, as most of the Gospels are. Why does the Lord share this story with us? I want to speak to you this morning about stepping out. 
In the language, the word here literally means that Jesus looked at him and he said, step out. It is a picture of him leaving where he was seated, coming in front of everybody and standing in their midst. Two things would be required of this man on this day. Number one, that he would step out. And number two, that he would reach out if his life was going to change. If his need was going to be met, if his situation was going to be altered, he had to step out and reach out. How often we stand back. But here was a man who came to God with a need, and he brought it to him. God is the mender of persons and the settler of sins. He can bring healing and forgiveness to the things that weigh heavy on our soul and our heart. But first, we have to bring them to Him. Many years ago, I had a good friend that was famous for duct tape. Anytime his child brought a toy to him, he'd go get the duct tape. Uh, He said that one occasion, and I remember his boy, Whale, as I watched him grow up in the ranks of our church, he said one day his little boy brought him a a broke plastic toy, and he said he had the toy in one hand and the duct tape in the other. He knew Daddy could fix it with duct tape. But the real issue was he brought it to him. Guys, I don't care what we got broke. I don't care how big it is or how small it is. If it is worrying our heart, if it's troubling our soul, if it's an issue in our life, we have a Lord that wants to help us heal it and fix it in our life and our world. I want to tell you something. Just because a person is in church doesn't mean he's in Christ. We can sit in these ranks, never experience the presence of our Lord. Manuel Scott, a great black pastor, made an interesting statement. He said, many church people are like those sick people by the pool of Bethsaida, waiting for the angel to touch the waters and trouble them. They're at the pool, but they're not in the pool. We can be at the house of God, but have we come to God? So much of our worship is habit. Got to be in the right place at the right time, do the right thing, because God will be pleased with me if I can check it off my list. And we can almost go home and put a little check on the calendar. I made it this week. Guys, that's not necessarily a bad thing, okay? But I think God wants more of us than that. He wants to intercede with our life and touch our world and heal our lives. Everyone who comes to church is not saved, but folks, everyone who comes to Jesus with a need finds help and healing if we bring our need to Him. Maybe the greatest thing we can carry to God is not our praise or our proclamation. As important as those are, I believe the greatest thing we can bring to God is an admitted need. Lord, here's where I'm at. Can you help me today to take one more step in my Christian faith to make a difference in your world? There's some things broken that needs to be healed. 
There are many in church who are without Christ. There are many Christians who are far from Christ. When you look across this church, you see good men who need to become godly men. You see hurting people who need healing. You see the fearful who need to be reassured. You see the rebellious who need rededication. You see the lost attender who needs to settle the issue of his salvation with God. You see the saved attender who needs to make a commitment to his Lord and to his church. As we look at our text, we find Jesus angered by the hard heart of the Pharisees. We see the Pharisees so mad at Jesus, they want to kill him. And they're plotting to do just that. But the interesting thing in this passage is the emphasis is not on, it's not on any of that. The emphasis is the simple fact, but there was a man there with a withered hand. When he left his room that day and he made his way to church, he had no idea what was going to happen. But his whole world was about to change. We find one man who walks away a healed man. He was the man who came to Jesus with an admitted need. I don't like to admit a need, do you? I like to think I can do anything. Don't you? You know, every now and then at my house, I imagine like at your house, I get into projects and it's too heavy to pick up, too big to move. And I don't want to call nobody. I got a strong strapping son up the hill just a little ways. I don't even want to call him. Why? I don't like to ask for help. I'll figure out a way to grab that thing or to hold that thing or maneuver that thing or slide that thing to get it where I'm at. Why? Because I don't want to ask for help. I believe that's just part of being Baptist, isn't it? I don't know. All jokes aside, we don't like to ask for help. How many of us will drive an extra 350 miles to keep from stopping and asking somebody about where a certain place is that we don't have on the GPS? Because we don't have the right address. We'd rather look than stop and ask. There are four figures that stand out in the story. First, there's the Savior. The best place to find God is in the church. Church is not perfect. It's got its problems. It's got its issues. You know why? Because it's got people in it. But the best place to find God is in church. The Bible calls it Bethel. It means house of God. That's the best place to find our Lord. The man with a crippled hand knew how to find Jesus. When we are beaten to our knees by sin or sorrow, we need to bring it to Jesus. Our spouse can't fix it. Our family can't fix it. A preacher can't fix it. But Jesus can. And so we bring it to Him. If you need the power of God, you can do no better than turn to God in regular worship. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's not going to happen overnight. I get tickled at people. They get desperate and say, well, I'm going to go to church and get it fixed. You know, it's kind of like one of those short television programs. They think you can just see one. It's broke at the beginning and it's fixed at the end. 
And we think we can run by the church and get a quick overhaul and everything will be okay. Newsflash. That's usually not the way it works. Most of our problem starts with our attitude and God needs time to do an attitude adjustment in most of our lives. If you need the power of God, you can do no better than turn to God and worship. Adding regular worship to our life can add a whole new dimension to our world. It can help us see the world from a different perspective. God cares about you. I'm going to tell you something. There's not a family member you've got. I don't care how much they love you, care about you, cares as much about you as Jesus does. He's the only one in your life that's died for you. Am I right? Now, you probably got some family members that would do it, but he did. I'm reminded of the lady that had a big family. She said, I spent all my time washing dishes. Husband asked her what she wanted. She says, I want you to come right here in front of this sink and cut a hole in the wall and put me a window there. Okay, honey. He cut the hole in the wall. They put a window there. He said, but why? She says, I may have to wash dishes, but I don't have to stare at the wall. So many times we get ourselves caught up in a world of racing to be here, to be there. And it's like staring at the wall. Do you ever feel like your life is a rat race just getting in the car? Most of us spend most of our time in the car. Don't look at me and look at somebody else. You know what I'm talking about. Got to be somewhere. Isn't it awful when you finally get there and find out they canceled it all? We live in a rat race. Worship brings a new dimension. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. This may be about the only place in your world you ever get still long enough to just listen. Not just daydream. To what God may want to say to you. There's more to life than schedules. The worship of God is just as much a reminder of this when he reminds us to be still and listen. The place to find God church, to find God in church is in Jesus. The crippled, broken parts of our lives can be made whole only by the personal touch of Jesus. I can't do it. The Sunday school teacher can't do it. Jesus can. Now let me show you something. He may do it. Sometimes he will use the handshake of a Christian friend to touch your life. Sometimes he will use the music of an instrument to calm your spirit. Sometimes he will use the voice of a choir to inspire your heart. Or the testimony of a committed believer or the words of the preacher. But it is not us. It is not we that do it. It is God taking our hand and touching you. The Bible says it's through the foolishness of preaching men would be saved. Just God touching people with somebody else's hand. The best place to take your need is to Jesus. We see his care in this story. These men didn't care anything about the guy with the withered arm. How many years of his life he'd spend with that useless limb, I don't know. How bad it hurt, I don't know. But Jesus reflected the fact they cared more about a sheep in the ditch that they could get out than they did that human being who was hurting and desperate in need. 
We got a sick society, folks. We care more in this society about animals than we do babies. That's sick. That's sick. We see his conviction. We see his intervention. The world may not care about us, but Jesus does. I saw sad news uh, this weekend of, of a mother that was being interviewed. Her nine-year-old daughter had taken her life. Suicide. Probably being bullied. You may be out here this morning. You may be hurting. You may feel like there's nobody in this world cares about you. But you don't let this world bully you into something that will break the heart of your family and that will rob you of the future that God has for you, you don't even know anything about yet. And my Christian youth, guys, I want to say something to you, and I want you to listen to me. There are a lot of times you can shut that down. You can step up to the plate and say, I'm not going to pick on others, and I'm not going to stand by and let others pick on them and get away with it. I don't mean you got to fight. But, I mean, sometimes we have to step to the plate and let them know how inappropriate it is. How sad it is when a child feels like I mean nothing in this world. We can make a difference. Second, there are the scorners. The second group in the church is the Pharisee, the scorner, the, the critic, the pretender. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the Pharisees. Some of these Pharisees, not the ones in this picture, but some of the people who were Pharisees were some of the finest people on earth. People like Nicodemus were some of the salt of the earth. But these guys that Jesus had to deal with, they were selfish, they were greedy, they didn't care anything about anybody but themselves. And when that is our attitude, that is the epitome of sin. Selfishness. Their presence is inevitable. Some are hypocrites in the church. You know that, I know that. But folks, they're not as many as we think. Many are just lost people are slowly being drawn to God. That's a good thing. Many are young Christians who are slowly, if you will, shaking the shackles of sin from their life, growing and maturing just one little step at a time. You can't expect to have it all figured out yet, be patient. But here were the scorners, the critics, the troublemakers. After all, if you were Satan, where would you put your best enemy? <laughs> or your best worker? Their wickedness was unimaginable. It's hard to imagine that they would hate Jesus so much, they would plot his death and think that was okay. They were so cruel, they didn't care about the guy with the withered arm. They just wanted to see Jesus get in trouble for helping him. We don't care about others. They didn't. They just wanted to further their cause and justify themselves. Are we much different when we mistreat others to entertain ourselves? we much different 
How many times have we as Christians hung our heads in shame over the blindness and cruelty of some lost church member? Think, there goes the church. There is nothing that does more damage to the church than the flagrant hypocrisy of one who flouts his sin and goes undisciplined in the church. Their presence is inevitable, their wickedness unimaginable, but their power should be minimal. Their presence didn't stop Jesus, and it can't stop us when those kind of faces rise up. One of the greatest mistakes we make is when we allow that to undermine the work of the church. You know, and even that can happen to even some good people. You remember when Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. He was Peter. But he got on the wrong track for a little while. Uh, Sometimes the best of us can get on the wrong track for a little while. Even Peter did. Third, there are the saints. These are those who stand by us when we do right and hold us accountable when we do wrong. Now, saints is an interesting term. It's really just a word for Christian, a believer, a committed believer, who does what? Who stands by us when we do right and who holds us accountable when we mess up. Now, brother, you know you ought not be doing that. Don't you like a Christian friend like that? We need to thank God for those who work together, who pray together, who serve together, and sometimes even grieve together for the sake of Christ. But last, there was a sufferer. The real main character besides our Lord in the story. Here was a man with a need. He didn't stay away from church and blame God for his condition. He came to God with a need. So many times we just want to point our finger at God and say, Lord, it's all your fault. You messed me up. You let me down. And we blame God. When what we need to do is just bring him our need. And this man just kept coming, kept trusting God and stayed faithful. And this day when he showed up, Jesus was there. And Jesus looked at him and he said, in short, step out. And he got out of his pew and he came forward. And then he said, reach out. And the best he could with a deformed limb, he reached it out. When I was a boy, I had an uncle, very beloved uncle, that was born with a deformed right arm. It was only about half as long as a regular arm. had a little nub out here on it. It amazed me how he could take that little nub and work. And and he went on through life with it, all of his life. But he could hold a board with it. He could take a saw in one hand. I don't know how he did it, but he'd take that little old nub and reach out and grab it and make it work. I don't know if this guy could make it work. But he needed the touch of Jesus. And too many of us go through life handicapped because we carry what troubles our soul rather than give it to Jesus. It may be a troubled marriage that you don't know how to fix. You love them, you just don't know how to fix it. It may be a relationship with our kids that just seem to be going in the wrong direction and we don't know how to fix it. Brother Ken, you promising me if I pray God will snap his fingers and it will all be fixed? Absolutely not. 
But I'm promising you, if you carry it to Jesus and you let him get a handle on it, he will intervene in your life. It may take six days. It may take six years. But he will address it when the time is right. Who are the really important people in this story? To God, the important ones are those who come to him with a need. That's who he spots in the crowd. You and I, we single out the nobility. God singles out the nobody in the eyes of the world. God is not looking for the affluent, but for the aching heart. There's a little mother trying to build a godly home and struggling, and God sees her. There's a family whose home is on the rocks, and God sees it and wants you to step out and put it in his hands. There's the employee whose job looks like it's fixing to end, and he doesn't know how he's going to pay the next bill or pay his house mortgage. God sees it, and he wants you to bring it to him. There's a teenager who is tempted to go with the crowd in their sins, but deep down inside wants to do the right thing. Step out. Bring it to him. Do we come to God this morning with arrogant self-sufficiency or do we come to God with a need a need for his guidance a need if you will for his involvement his intervention and maybe his healing in our life we all have a need in Matthew twelve twenty, Isaiah is quoted in the next few verses and here's one of the things he said concerning Jesus A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, what does that mean? That when the world would laugh at you and I about our problem, Jesus doesn't laugh. He reaches out to heal and to help. Remember, Jesus is the healer of the hurting, the helper of the helpless, friend of the fallen, Everyone who comes to Jesus finds help and finds healing. That's his promise to you and I. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the examples of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you see and you care about us. I pray, Lord, through this message this morning, you will give us the courage to step out. To place, Father, on your plate the things that trouble us. Whether it's to come forward to the altar and talk with you. Whether it's to rededicate our life, to accept you as our Savior. Or to simply bow our head in prayer and commit ourselves and our problem to you. Give us the courage to step out and to reach forth and to allow you to intervene in our lives. And Father, if we are to be one 
that touches the heart and life of those around us. Give us the compassion to be your hand to a hurting world. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray.